Chris. Chris. Annie. I experienced my weirdest customer interaction last week in all my years of book selling and customer service. I need to know everything. Okay, so a woman came into the store, and I'm going to set this up by saying I have a younger brother, who I think I've talked about on here before, and mm -hmm. when he was little, he would talk nonstop. And I, as the eldest child, used to like count the seconds between when he would stop talking and when he would start talking <laughs> again. And it was like minuscule, like just a couple seconds. So this particular customer was very chatty. Like the moment she came in the door, she just had a lot of questions, which there's nothing wrong with. Please ask us questions. Um, but she had a lot of questions, and for every question, before I could like finish my answer, she had another question. Mm. So it was just a lot, which that, you know, that's fine. We, that is not the weirdest thing we have ever experienced. But she was kind of walking around the store and she had on a purse and then she was carrying her Trader Joe's like reusable shopping bag. Mm -hmm. And so I assumed she was kind of a tourist who had been shopping in Thomasville. And we ring her up at the register. She has a couple of questions. We have a very awkward interaction in which I kind of held her hand as she handed me oh, no. matchboxes. Oh, it was no. very uncomfortable. Um, and I will give you the details of that later. However, then after we ring her up, um, she says, hey, you know the traveling gnome? And we were like, sure, traveling gnome. She said, you know, like... Like you the take... Travelocity gnome? I guess. She meant like the <laughs> no a gnome that like you take pictures of him, I guess, in front of... Like a Flat Stanley kind yes, of thing? Yes, okay. like Flat Stanley. Okay, so I was like, sure, absolutely. She was like, well, I have a skull. And I was like, oh. awesome. <laughs> so out of her Trader Joe's bag... She pulls a hot pink glitter skull. Uh, no, she, no, she, no, no. She's been carrying it around the store the whole time. Only we thought, like, the Trader Joe's bag was full of, like, clothes. Like, she was one of those people who just uses a reusable bag, which is fantastic. But instead, it's this skull that she takes with her everywhere, and it has a straw hat. Like, what size skull? Like, like full human size? size. Like, two that we still have questions about this might be a real human correct <laughs> like like it was big enough like it wasn't like a petite little souvenir type thing it was large oh, and no. she sets it down and then i she asks me to put a bookshelf baseball cap on the skull so i put a bookshelf baseball cap on the skull and then she says this is daddy daddy ah. goes with me everywhere <laughs> that's my story that i've been wanting to tell you all week <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't tell me until this moment. This is a real reaction. It's, oh my gosh. I don't know what to do with that. It's a lot. Welcome to episode 114 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and we forgot to record an intro this week, so it's just me here at the top of the show, and I'm recording from my office, which will you'll probably hear some, some students in the hallway and maybe some slamming doors while I'm talking about this. Um, you spoke, and we listened. We've had several of you lovely listeners request an episode on poetry, how to read poetry, how to get into poetry, where to start with poetry how to not be intimidated by it. And so what we did is we asked two of my colleagues at Florida State to come and speak to us about their experiences with it. Um, their names are Will Farguson and Ruth Bauman, and I will have both of their websites available for you to look at in our show notes. Uh, they're both very talented and well-published young poets in the field. And 
I really enjoyed this conversation that we got to have with them. So I hope that you do too. I hope that you learned something, and I hope that you will go and pick up a poetry book after listening. And if you're not sure which, well, you can always ask me. Okay, so tell us about your cats again. <laughs> um, well, there's Lulu and there's Juju. They're not related, but their names are very closely related. Oh, and they're sisters now. Yeah, no, they're they're sisters by slight affection and by proximity. Um, and then <laughs> there's, there's also Autumn, who hides downstairs. Right. And is colloquially known as the downstairs cat. One time a dog came over and she stayed down there for two months. Oh, um, no. She's a Scorpio, so, okay. you know, they're kind of intense. I have no idea when my cat was born. You're probably a bad cat owner. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I, I didn't even say goodbye to Pringles on my way out. She yeah. could be sulking and, and crying. I say I think so. goodbye to Marge and tell her that I love her, and I tell her to have a good day every time I leave the house. That's usually what I do. Make good choices. Um, <laughs> I put one of them in charge every time. Uh, we have enough that there's probably a hierarchy after a while. Yeah. Someone that has mm. to be in charge. Downstairs cat rules from below. Downstairs cat actually <laughs> may rule from she below. She actually, she made eye contact with one of the three-pound kittens. She's like 17 some pounds. Oh, she's, um, she's a big kitten. She's full a, of life. I think, yeah, you posted a picture recently. And she ran recently. from the kitten. I did. Yes, oh. I do that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> but I rarely see downstairs cat on, on Instagram, and I was just thinking, that's a, that's a big cat. She is made of, she contains multitudes. <laughs> so does Chris. I do. I say that often. Yeah. Every episode, he squeezes that in. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not my cat, though. No. Sorry. I'm I'll find Marge for you before you leave, because she's just a, a, a tiny bear. Yeah. She's such a little tiny cat. She's very cute. I tried to pet her, but she has to be like three times. Yeah. You know, she is not happy about people in our home. She's protective. She is protective. She's territorial. We have that in common. Aries thing, maybe? Yeah, could be. Um, so, our listeners want to know about poetry. Uh, so, who are you guys? Yeah, why do we have you here? Why do we have you here in our... in, in my home? <laughs> in our studio? <laughs> um, so, I, will, I guess I will just say, um, we are joined today by Will Farguson and Ruth Bauman, and they're going to talk to us today. We're going to talk with us today about poetry. So, Will, who are you? I am um, a person. I'm a third-year graduate student here at FSU. And, um, I don't know, I've been writing poetry. First poem I ever wrote, I was 11 years old, and my teacher read it out to the class and cried, and I didn't know what was going on. (laughs) (laughs) And that is how I started writing poetry, I guess, you know? fantastic story it really is <laughs> I came back I came back to it I like didn't write another poem until I was in high school and like one or two of do- my dogs died and then so I kind of kept returning to it for death um, <laughs> which is sort of a joke but not really but like, not really yeah right I mean because I'm yeah I, I'm really interested in like elegy and, and poems about death so You'll um, fit in just great. We did a whole episode so, about that. One of our most ago. popular episodes. I think. Actually. I think our second most popular ever. Yeah. So I, I. That's that was you know something that drew me to poetry right away. And yeah. So now I'm still studying and teaching poems. That's awesome. So, yeah. Ruth, what about you? I'm also a person. Okay. Um, this is good. No robots here today. Yeah. No. Well, you know, some of the species could be a cat. Um, <laughs> 
I don't have any good making teachers cry stories. Okay. Um, I did hustle my teachers when I was younger. I'd like make these little magazines, and they'd be mostly stories about like my cats and poems. And then I would sell them to everybody, and that's how <laughs> I made money for a while. I'm pretty sure they weren't, you know, of, of good quality. Um, but, but business is business. Right? Yeah, man. I yeah. mean, if it could have been a worse hustle. Business, yeah. if, if, if the market's there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. I don't have any copies remaining, though, or I would try to hustle them on you guys tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, is what we do. I mean, we are in the, the, the business of selling books. Book hustling business. Book hustling. Yeah. Book hustlers is actually the name of our forthcoming uh, EP, mm-hmm. our rap EP. <laughs> do you have Marge on, like, drums in the book? Yes, yes. Marge is making beats. <laughs> I can see that. Um, so... Ruth, how did you kind of get into poetry? We've heard right. Will's original story here um, of making his teacher cry accidentally. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't with his to. words. I'm sorry, Miss Ingram, wherever you are. <laughs> um, but Ruth, how did how did you get started down this path? Down this path, there was yeah. no one to direct me in the right direction. <laughs> I didn't have good guidance. No, um, well, really, I think I didn't have good guidance. I grew up. I grew up in a home where you didn't really talk about things or feelings, and I think um, one of the ways that I dealt with those was by writing all the time. I'm not sure when exactly it became poetry, but part of that might be that, yeah, it's easier to write shorter things, because <laughs> I'm not the most disciplined individual. Mm. Um, but I think it's a, it's a good way to channel emotions and to be able to communicate when you don't have, you know, receptive audiences. Yeah. Something I found when I was younger and was trying to write poetry more than I do now was writing so that I could understand my feelings, right? Like, it's an outlet not just to, like, get it out, but to also name it and to understand. That's what Flannery O'Connor talked about. I think she has, like, this quote that says, I wrote to understand myself, like, Mm. to understand what she felt about things. And it makes sense, I think, that poetry would be one of those... I think so, too. Um, I really like that idea, and not just because I was already saying it and now heard that Flannery O'Connor also said it. <laughs> you and Flannery. Me and Flan. Me and Flan. Uh, raising peacocks together in the afterlife. That's a novel or a short story, probably a poem, really. I think that's a tattoo, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, if any of yeah. you want to get a tattoo of me and Flannery O'Connor <laughs> with a peacock, I will send you um, some reference pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dollar for every time for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's with writing poetry. Are there were there like models for you? Like who were some like poets that you in your early life got into? And maybe not even poets or songwriters. However, that works out. Um, I was given books early on, like Shel Silverstein, which oh, yeah. is like a. You know, if you're not familiar with him, he does, like, little... They're basically, like, children's poems, sometimes humorous, and he does drawings next mm-hmm. to them and stuff. My grandmother um, gave me those and would read me those, and so that was maybe my first official poetry. But as a kid, I was really into... Um, I mean, I guess I still am very much into music, and I would buy a lot of CDs, um, you know, wherever CDs are even sold nowadays. Um, <laughs> I would buy CDs... And uh, and read the liner notes, and so that was sort of like, um, at least how I got stuff that was like not Shel Silverstein poetry that was sort of a little bit more advanced in feeling, at least. Um, 
and you know those songs and, and lyrics may not have been you know poetry with a capital P but they were um, accessible and you know that kind of led me to kind of seek something um, deeper out or something that you know can stand without the music you know um, I like the idea that you sought out the liner notes too that it's like you wanted to see it written down too because I think there is a big difference um, between music that's just performed or even poetry that's performed and, and poetry on the page right this is something I've heard you say before like it has to stand up on the page right and if it does yeah and um you know, a lot of those song lyrics might not stand up as poetry, or I might not classify them as poetry, even though Bob Dylan, you know, winning the Nobel, you know, prize, uh, prize literature, right? So, like, um, I think song lyrics can, you know, there's there's they're like a Venn diagram. Maybe mm-hmm. there's an overlap there where they can they can both be in their separate categories, but could also be the same thing. Um, but yeah, I would read the liner notes because it gave me kind of it on the page, and that even the liner notes would break. The, the actual writing up into little line links and um, so I did that for many years before ever getting into like official poetry or, or you know poetry written by people who called themselves poets mm-hmm. um, but I still turn to music and, and song lyrics as like a form of poetry and I think it's honestly probably the most accessible um, form of poetry that a lot of people can get you know a lot of people don't realize they're consuming poetry in that way but you know they are yeah, and I think that's part of the reason we're, we're doing this episode is because our listeners have asked, how do we get into poetry? How does that start? How, does, how do we make this accessible? Because I think people are scared of poetry. I think so, too. I think if in the bookstore world, and you probably know this as poets, like the poetry section in bookstores is often overlooked or not as often shopped. But I don't think that's because people aren't appreciative of that art. I think it's that they don't know where to begin. Right. And so not only do we hear from listeners of the podcast, like, hey, where, what kind of poetry should I be reading? I think it came up because you mentioned it as a reading resolution for me yeah. at the beginning of this year. Yeah. Um, but I think in the store we hear that too. Um, like, you know, people will browse our poetry section and they'll be like, oh, what, where do I start? Which, to me, poetry is actually really personal, like a lot of reading. So it's hard to kind of guide people to the right poetry for yeah. them. But I think it's a good question. That's why we have you guys here, <laughs> to and be I, the expert. Because <laughs> you are our experts. Um, Ruth, what about early influences for you? I was trying to think of a normal answer for no, this question. No, no, be While, candid. Yeah, so, well, I was thinking the first book I read was The Diary of Anne Frank when okay. I was, like, six or seven, okay. um, so that formed a lot of thought processes, because I was Jeff really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't really understand it, obviously, when you're, mm-hmm. like, six, you probably don't comprehend the Holocaust, ideally, but, uh, I came back to it, and I was really obsessed with the Holocaust, for one, when I was younger, because it was really interesting to me, I mean, always... It's always been interesting to look at people's psychology, to try to figure out how things happen, how people become what they become. Um, especially if you're in a family that doesn't talk about things, you're always yeah. observing, you're, yeah, you're sort of taking a role of like social responsibility in a lot of ways, trying to account for other people's feelings. So there, there was that coming into it, that interest in human psychology and like the darkness that I think poetry gets at a lot. And then when I was in elementary school, I guess, My cousin moved in with us for a few years, and he tried to teach us how to be really tough. Like, he came from the hood, and so he brought a lot of, he brought a lot of Puff Daddy. Okay. Um, (laughs) He brought a lot of Tupac. It was mainly, um, like, early 90s rap. He 
he was obsessed with that song by Puff Daddy and featuring Faith Hill in 112, okay. I'll Be Missing You, the dance video, <laughs> where he's in all white, and after yes, Biggie gets yes, shot. Yes. Yeah, so I heard that song like six million times when he lived there, and so I got into rap for a while. Um, Which is very particular metrical quality, right? Yeah. Like, I can, I can see that. <laughs> and it sort of introduced me to... To both a language of outsiders, which I always find compelling, um, a language of sort of resistance, and mm-hmm. also like a more lyrical way to look at language in general. So, I love between that. the Holocaust and Puff Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love to make that our episode title. I'm not going to, but I, mean, but I would love to. <laughs> yeah. You said be honest. I did, and I'm really glad you went there. I love that both Can't of your answers were music-related, because mm-hmm. I think that's something we've been talking about, too, coming off of. So our last episode was about the intersection of music and books as we were prepping for Word of South Festival here in Tallahassee. And so even yesterday, a couple of the events I got to attend and a couple of the events you got to attend, mm-hmm. I think, were this mixture of poetry and music. So I got to hear, like, David Kirby playing, right. or, you know, speaking alongside... Um, a cellist and just and they had never met before and so this oh, cellist yeah it was really bizarre um, but it wound up being really cool because um, David Kirby was reading his own poetry and then also some um, poetry written by others and the band would kind of just base their I guess music on kind of the themes of the poem You're kind of like a jazz thing. I wouldn't say that like one of the poems was a Barbara Hamby poem mm-hmm. um, and so it had a more south. Um, South American flair, and so okay. the cellist would play like the South. It was it was weird, but it was really <laughs> cool. And David Kirby, one poem that I really did enjoy hearing was from his new collection called "Get Up, Please." And mm-hmm. the poem "Get Up, Please," I really, I really loved his performance of it. And then the cellist and the drummers in the background somehow knew exactly what to play. But I think it goes back to artistry, and I do think there's an overlap between music yeah. and poetry, and so they kind of knew what to do with it. And that's one of the things I like so much about the Word of South Festival that yeah. explores that intersection between literature and music which is so important I think so much literature is informed by music and vice versa obviously and it makes things accessible like talking about like probably anybody listening to this might maybe they're not huge readers of poetry but they listen to music but they listen to music and like we like Will said we might not call that poetry with a capital P but like there's overlap there and it's it's an access point um, into that kind of more lyrical mode of writing Um, I heard a performance yesterday. It was Laura Minor, who's another um, poet in the FSU graduate English program, and she read part of an essay about working as a professional musician and as a professional poet, and trying to navigate those waters and how they're very similar. And there's a similar work ethic that goes into doing both of those, but they're not the same thing. And she has to kind of figure out like. I was working on this as a poem, and then I started using those lyrics for a song, so I can't write that poem anymore, and now it's become a song, and she can't really recycle the way that she would like to all the time. But then she actually took one of Barbara Hamby's poems, um, who had read right before her, um, and turned it into a song, and Barbara heard it for the first time, and it was it was, it was a really cool experience to watch that. Um, now, Will, I know you write music, too. Have you been able to incorporate any of your poetry into that or how is that process work for you uh yeah occasionally I can um I mean one time I needed song lyrics for like the second verse of a song and I just could not find something that was good enough and I dug through old poems that didn't quite make it and I just found stuff that would like kind of metrically fit with you know because I mean songs have songs have a form just as much as like poetic forms do like you can only say something for so many beats or measures and then it has to cut off and 
Um, yeah, so there's an, been an overlap there. I actually got into writing, um, or I started writing poetry by nature of writing song lyrics, um, because for years I wrote things that were song lyrics for songs that never got written and that had no music for them <laughs> at a point when I couldn't play guitar. Um, <laughs> so I think it was just me saying they were song lyrics because I thought that was cooler, <laughs> you know, in high school to say that I was writing song lyrics <laughs> rather than poems. Um, but they gradually took on a more like a shape that you know would actually eventually become my really really bad early poetry um, that I won't show anyone ever and should have <laughs> burned after I die. Um, but it it uh, you know it it became a way to kind of just get out those those feelings that I had early on, and eventually they did become poems and not poetry. But yeah, there's there's definitely an overlap um, between the two. I mean, they each they each have different forms. So mm-hmm. you know, something that is definitely a, a poem, I might not always be able to translate back into a song or vice versa. But if you have any experience with songwriting at all. I did not become a rapper. Okay. Um, what? <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, yeah, there's still time. I there guess. is. Um, still young. Mm, older than you. Well, <laughs> barely. <laughs> <laughs> but no, not really. I mean, I listen to music, mm-hmm. but I haven't performed it. Have you ever thought of like something that happened, like Word of Sabbath yesterday? This like pairing of of literature and music. Have you ever thought of your work? set to music like not necessarily in like a like a song way but like with accompaniment um you actually reminded me a friend of mine is trying to set some of my work to opera so oh, that's a real thing that's um, super and cool Kava, tell us Kava about that work too well his name is brian garcia he graduated with a degree i think in like opera if that's a thing yeah, it is <laughs> yes yeah um and that's one of the things he wanted to do as a project was just take some of my poems and kava's poems and like put them to music and sing them. I don't know how it's going. I haven't heard from it in a while, uh, but That's it's amazing. a really cool project. Yeah. I cannot sing opera, so I can't really sure. even like conceptualize <laughs> of it in my mind. But But wow, that that I can't imagine what that must feel like as as a writer to have somebody take take my stuff and turn it into that. If you want, if you have a dissertation, I can go call him and see um, Give back to me in like a year. <laughs> I have a master's thesis he could do. There you go. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. So is this a good time to address the elephant of, in the room? What is the elephant in the room? About the best-selling poetry book of all time. Oh, yeah. I think I think this is actually a perfect excessus to that. Sorry, Will. What oh, is... Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you guys tell me, what is the best poetry, best-selling poetry book <laughs> of all time? It is Jules, A Night Without Armor, but it's... Which is um, to say, Jewel, the singer from the right. 90s, whom you may remember. <laughs> Which, like, if you go into any used bookstore, you can sometimes find, like, rows of, like, ten of these books. Like, they, they like, <laughs> manufactured them in such excess that people are bringing in, like, stacks of them to just get rid of, I think. Um, but it's A Night Without Armor, and I think it's spelled, like, like N-I-G-H-T. Like, not like oh. a night, like... Right. So the title already has study. a pun, which sort of sets the bar at <laughs> pun, <laughs> pun level. Um, now, I haven't actually read it because I was just horrified at the fact that, like, that became the best-selling book of, right. of all time. What year did that book come um, out? 
I don't know. I don't know. Like, I just can't believe that's still. Maybe now, maybe it got, hopefully somebody else is selling more books I'll I'll fact check it for the show Um, notes. It may have been, like, the highest grossing or something. I don't know. Right. But if what we're talking about, Um, I mean, that makes sense, though. Right. Like, if people's access point is music, then I guess they're like, you know what, I don't, yeah, I don't recognize anybody else on this shelf, but Jewel. Right. (laughs) And, like, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I read, I mean, I I have to read a lot for school and teaching, but I don't get to read a ton of fiction. I did, like, a year or so ago check out John Darnell, who is the singer of the band The Mountain Goats. He wrote a book of fiction. Um, called Wolf and White Van. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he just released a second novel and I went to it and I read that novel by way of like knowing his music. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, I can sort of sympathize at least sure. with people that may have kind of gone that route. But really it's just because then, you know, they had name recognition. They, yeah. they knew this person already. Um, and that might turn a lot of people off to, you know, going to a poetry section of a bookstore. It's because they don't know any of the names. You're right. right. Except Shakespeare or... You know these Emily names, Dickinson. right? Like Emily the Dickinson. You, I mean, the the kids, the authors you read in school, right? And people yeah. that they like may have bad memories associated with of having like memorized Shakespeare or something, and, right? Um, and so they just don't know of any of these people that were writing in the last fifty or hundred years that um, are actually way more accessible than people like Shakespeare, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but that might be why they went to Jewel instead. <laughs> <laughs> and if Jewel is your access point, then great. I yeah. guess my. My philosophy and all, all things like that is, you can come in wherever you come in. Just don't stop yeah. there. Always try to keep finding something new. I think that's the longer you work at a bookstore too. You're like, okay, we can start at this access point, but then hopefully guide you to other, oh, right. other artists, other authors. Happy to stock, all the light we cannot see. Sure, which is legitimately good right. literature. Right, very good. Um, bestseller list for like three years yeah. I think just, finally it off it just came out in paperback did it that's, really so that's why it's not on the bestseller list anymore fascinating because now people are buying the paperback but I will always say like if you liked this yeah let's keep reading let's not cap it at just the one yeah. um, so in terms of contemporary poets or even not contemporary like who are some poets you, that you guys really like that you might recommend for our listeners instead of Jewel instead of well then maybe you <laughs> really like Jewel yeah I mean no one asked me here <laughs> I was thinking we could have author names like Jewel Shakespeare could be one of our <laughs> pseudonyms and that would really well. <laughs> that might be great if you really want the best-selling book of all time. <laughs> I mean, we're trying to hustle here, right? Jewel, right. By Jewel Shakespeare. Yeah. Best poetry Jewel of all Tupac time. Shakespeare. By Jewel oh. Tupac Shakespeare. That's not <laughs> Anyway. Uh, but who are some well, poets you really like? Okay. Yeah. Um, not them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh... I'm trying to think of, like, contemporary poets that were really accessible. I was teaching Anne Sexton earlier today oh, yeah. to my freshmen who were slightly traumatized yeah. um, by it. But I think stuff like that was really accessible. Anne Sexton, um, Sharon Olds was a poet that I got into when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that they're not good, but they also they use really clear narrative, which mm-hmm. I think is helpful. People sometimes are like, what's happening here? This mm-hmm. is just a bunch of words. Um, yeah, I think people are often very put off by this kind of abstract lyricism mm-hmm. yeah. um, that's just pretty words, which has its place and can be very good. Um, but I think some people are very turned off by that if they're used to reading fiction or narrative nonfiction. Um, so Sharon Old and Sexton, what about something more conceptual? What's something you like? maybe really like? I've always really liked Anne Carson, and mm-hmm. she is a weirdo. Um, <laughs> And she is a really dark, strange weirdo who was way more educated than me, so a lot of her stuff goes over my head. But what she does have, I think, is really, really interesting. Or what 
I mean, all that she has, but what she does have that I can comprehend, I think is really interesting. And it does a lot with, um, with like stories about human nature, which is a lot of the point of poetry, right? Is to get yeah. at emotional truths and human truths. Um, but it also just like remakes all these weird myths and it's just really interesting. That sounds super good to me. <laughs> have you not read her? I don't think I have. Why am I in your house? I- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> She, she, yeah, she uses lots of, like, I think she teaches Greek uh, mm-hmm. literature, so she uses all these, like, really ancient stories and does... Oh, I, I, like, I kind of can't imagine I haven't read her, and I am just... I'm pretty disappointed. Right. I, she's great. She's, she's sort of uh, weird. Did. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, she's not... She, I mean, weird as in not accessible, mm-hmm. you know? She would not be, like, a, a, a poet I might give to, like, a freshman in high school, you mm-hmm. know, who's, like just trying to... I think I've done that before. You have, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure it succeeded. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ann Carson's wonderful. Um, yeah, and I back the Sharon Olds stuff. I still love Sharon Olds. I mean... I wasn't um, dismissing her. Oh, yeah. I, if you're listening, Sharon, <laughs> we yeah. think you're great. Oh, yeah, I love Sharon Olds um, so much. Friend. Still, and I also would recommend her to, like... Um, she's a still-living poet, um, but was writing in, like, the like early 80s. I think her first book came out, and... Um, she's a lot easier to grasp because of the clear narrative and she also doesn't use any like super dictionary words left Mm. and right or just like you know um, she's not so experimental like Ann Carson on the experimental scale is way over on the other end um, where you know it would be harder to grasp what she's talking about Um, yeah who else do you really like? Um, I've been I mean the past three four years I've been just really obsessed with Richard Sykin's work. Um, his book, Crush, came out in 2005. He's not, again, probably like a, that that accessible as a um, for like people who are just beginning to read poetry, but um, what he does with language is amazing. So, you know, I've been really into his work. Um, if I was to recommend books, you know, you could start with people like, like Robert Frost or something that, you know, as I think often... Um, uh, and I see this with my students too they get frustrated when they can't figure out what is going on in a poem mm-hmm. you know um, and if they can't figure out what's going on they have no entrance into the poem if they have no entrance into the poem they're going to stop reading mm-hmm. um, and you know that's no good for both reader or the poet who is hoping to have their poems be read by mm-hmm. the, the reader so um, you know somebody like that is, is a little bit easier to kind of get into um, Frost has his moments of being really complicated but he's usually pretty straightforward and so I think that that can help out a lot um I think we've seen that at the bookshelf so Chris you might know more than I do but I think some of our most best-selling books of poetry have been Wendell Berry um and then recently Milk and Honey um has been I was pleasantly surprised like full disclosure I came across that book at Barnes and Noble and I was like oh I like this maybe we could sell this book of poetry and we have sold like, we've had to restock several times. I think times. we've sold out three times, yeah. yeah. So, um, and some of my friends at under at other indie bookstores are having the same phenomenon. With her pr- With in her, particular? Yeah. Interesting. And then Mary Oliver is another one that I feel like we sell regularly. So those are, like, for our customers anyway and our readers, I think those are some entry points. And I think you're right. It's because Wendell Berry is pretty clear. It's very about, concrete. Yeah, right. about what he's writing about. Um I think that's interesting because I don't want to think of of reading poetry as like building a tolerance to lyric because that's not really what it is but I think it is something that you just have to 
learn and grow with, right? Like maybe enter with something a little more concrete, something more so narrative. So you can get comfortable so with So you can get comfortable with the idea of it and then slowly introduce mm-hmm. more abstract experimental things until you just are really into it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I mean, some people might even be like turned off by Robert Frost. They right. might not like the narrative and they might want to go toward a more lyric poet. Um, you know, like someone like... And Sexton would be probably a little bit at least more lyric than like Robert Frost would be, um, but you know I think you can you can at least build up to the more abstract stuff or the more experimental stuff. I mean the stuff like Richard Sexton would be hard for a, a beginning poet to kind of grasp um, or a beginner reader of poetry to grasp. But um, yeah, I was thinking too about so I make my students read all kinds of poetry just. You know, not out of, out of malice, but I think it's interesting. <laughs> um, and one of the poems, I give them a choice on what to respond to, and I put up a bunch of stuff online, and one that they all replied to, or not all of them, but a lot of them recently, was Langston Hughes they've been responding oh, to. Yeah. Um, that Let America Be America Again yes. poem they've all sort of resonated with, which has been interesting. Um, that is interesting. I mean, that title is such a good kind of counter-narrative yeah. uh, to, to the contemporary it that's also might, like, be politically more, like, it might actually be relevant, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, it unfortunately. Appears. Yeah, like, I mean, some of these these poets that, you know, were writing about oppression at different times, like, it, it resurges as, like, being politically mm-hmm. relevant, um, which, like, Robert Frost is, like, very non-political in really any of this stuff. Um, but if, if, like, you know, people are interested in political writings, there's a lot of poets that... Mm-hmm. you know, write, like, more politically charged uh, uh, stuff. Like, Audrey and Rich, I was reading her today, and, you know... She's one of my favorites. Oh, she's fantastic. Um, you know, more feminist uh, poetry and, and, you know, poems that came out of the 70s, like, women's movement, and, like, you know, she would be great if you were more, like, if you wanted to read more political um, poetry. Her Diving Into the Rock collection, I think, was my big entrance into reading poetry in high school. Just incredible. I love everything about it. There's um one other poem speaking of. Well, also, a side note, arguably everything is political. And, right, but, yes. And being I, I apolitical argue, is yeah. a position of privilege. But I, um, <laughs> sorry, Robert Frost. I right. was thinking another poem that they all responded to really well was, um, I think it's called A Small Needful Fact by Ross Gay. Okay. And it is about one of the... I think it's Eric Garner, um, one of the recent kids that motivated this. Black Lives yeah. Matter. And it's it's also, like, it's a straightforward sort of narrative, um, but it's also lyric, and it's sort of really topically relevant, but mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, it's one of those poems that will stand up way beyond the mm. social moment. I think you're right. I wasn't arguing with oh, you, by yeah. the way. Oh, no, okay. I, think, I think you could make the point that a lot of Robert Frost's... Um, could be political but some poets like have more of a political right. bent and if you're kind right. of like drawn toward that there are a lot of poets that use that as like a, a point of you know rebellion you know to rebel through the, their Which, writing and yeah um, I it, think a lot really? of the, the more lyrical music that we've been talking to is often in that in that vein as well right. I mean Dylan in the 60s and we both like Connor Oberst and he's very much in that political vein too Will and I went to see Connor Oberst in Atlanta two oh, weeks yes. ago wonderful <laughs> I, I would you consider you forgot to invite us Sorry. Uh, we did Whatever. invite some other people who did not come with us <laughs> yes. um, at the last minute. We're going to get our own show, yeah. right? That was very sad. Please, yeah. Um, Pop Teddy. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a final question because we're uh, coming up on our time here. But um, have you guys read Roka 
Letters to a Young Poet. Oh, yes. I'm actually going to be teaching it this fall. Okay. Yeah. I... I'm nodding yes. Okay. So <laughs> what, is, uh, what is the poet's reaction to this? I've always kind of been curious. Is it, is it good advice? I, I think it's pretty good advice. Um, I mean, you have to take anybody's advice about poetry that I can... Because he can make some pretty cosmic statements about, mm-hmm. like, solitude and things like that. That, you know, you have to sort of take with a grain of salt or not, you know, take literally all the time. But he has a lot of really great stuff. I mean, I'm teaching it with a, a workshop class to, like, people that are going to be beginning writing their own poems, um, because I think it's a lot of just really good advice and a really, you know, like, it's like 30 pages long. I mean, yeah, it's a it's very, very short, short book, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's it just has some great ideas about poetry, you know. I was just realizing I haven't read it in, like, 15 years, yeah. so I've I read some of his poems time. recently. Um, I don't know if they, they work as advice manuals, though. <laughs> <laughs> They're all elegies. We know elegies. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong so with I that. So I stand with Will's answer. I support it. Yeah. Can I? I can I ask a Please, final question? Course. So, if we have customers or listeners who, like, you've given maybe these poets that are good entry points, but sometimes people just ask how, like, right. how do I read poetry? Because for whatever reason, they feel like there's a different way, and perhaps there is a different way from reading poetry than reading your standard literary novel or whatever. What are some of your practical or what's your advice for that for the, a good question. for the how um well I I'm thinking about the ways that I came to it and I kind of just read it for something that emotionally resonated like I didn't necessarily have to understand all of the things I mean when I started reading poetry more seriously I was in high school and I didn't understand a lot of things in life so that was sort mm-hmm. of typical I was reading like Bukowski and you know but you find something that you relate to or just like one line that sort of makes a lot of sense to you mm-hmm. um you get lines stuck in your head? Um, I, I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do. I'm just trying to think. I don't think I have any right now, but I'm also tired and my head might be empty. Well. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I would say read it slowly and read it more than once, mm-hmm. you know. But also, there's so much poetry out there by so many poets and so many different types of poetry with so many different aesthetic tastes and bents and different schools of thought that if something you, you read that you don't like, you can move on to a different type of poetry that might resonate with you. Mm-hmm. For example, like we were recommending Sharon Olds, that is not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a certain style and a certain way of writing that some people, like me, really love um, what she does, but certain other people might not like what she does. But, you know, to not give up on poetry as a whole, mm-hmm. just because you read one poem by one person or... You get one book by one poet and you don't like it, well, check out poems by a different type of writer from a different time period, you know, maybe a different background or writing about different topics. And, you know, you can probably find something that will resonate with you or that you do enjoy reading. Um, Yeah, I think for me, because I feel very different from the rest of the people at this table, but I think for me... I, when I read poetry, which I do not read it often, but I read from, like, a collection that my grandmother gave me, and so, like, I read a poem a day, or, you know, something, I like the idea of reading it more than once, um, mm-hmm. to try to figure out what does, what is this saying, but I like this collected works, because if I don't like one poem, you know, the next day's poem is very different, and so that's something that I honestly hadn't thought of till we were sitting here, that, oh, we probably should have collected, like, different collections of poetry rather than at the bookshelf, we should have some of that mixed in with... Yeah, or anthologies. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to recommend, too, is not just to go check out, like, one book by Robert Frost, but, like, get, like, an anthology of poems that were written in the last 100 years, you know? 
um, and just flip around and, and find something that appeals to you or that you that resonates with you or you like the style yeah. or, or writing. And, An anthology is like a mixtape uh, from a good friend. Right. Uh, there might be 15 songs on it and you like two of them, but now you've found two artists that you might want yeah. to get into and you can pursue that further. Yeah. This is going to... You guys might roll your eyes at me, but I'm going to say it anyway. And the two collections that I really like have been compiled by Caroline Kennedy. I feel like she okay. did a really great job of doing a wide range and like she arranged one of the collections by subject um and so you can read you know different poems about different subject matters and i have found those to be really beautiful beautiful collections so yeah you can find them themed like that too. yeah you can find uh poems about like grief or poems about mm-hmm. motherhood yeah. I, mean, I just bought my sister a, a book of poems about motherhood because she just had a baby so like you know you can get you can get books themed like that but I would also just check out like an anthology of of recent poems not like poems from you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago that people may have been taught in school that like they don't like anymore right right um you know so they can just feel around and, and find something they do like and I think my bookseller and my teacher hats kind of converge here to say don't be afraid to ask yeah um good books good literature in general is supposed to provoke conversation. That's the point of the public sphere. We're supposed to be talking about this stuff all the time, um, which, like, I hope we're able to give you in podcast form. That's why we do this. We want to have conversations and let you in on that, and I think this has been a, a good and informative one. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you guys have anything else you'd like to say before we kind of close out? I learned something today. I didn't know about Jules' bestseller stuff. Jules' bestseller, <laughs> yeah. Which I, d- I don't recommend, but I also, I don't not recommend it either. I've never actually read it, so, you know, maybe I should give it a try. It, maybe you know, it's not so bad. Maybe. Listeners, if you've read it, I would actually really love to hear yeah, your take. Yeah, um, <laughs> Please email me. Uh, as always, you can find full episodes of From the Front Porch on our store website. That is www.bookshelfthomasville.com. And you can follow us on social media at Bookshelf Teville. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And I am going to plug an upcoming event that the Bookshelf is doing because of a conversation like this. Um, we have invited a poet in residence and a local poetry professor to come in and do, we're calling it Poetry Reading 101, so that you can come to the Bookshelf. And if you, like so many of our listeners or so many of our customers, are confused about where to start, maybe you listen to this episode and you want to know more information, um, we would invite you to that event, which is in April, I believe it's April 21st. It's a Friday night. You can have you can find information on our store website about that as well. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. <laughs>